Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey you guys, this is Josh and Carolyn with Homesteading Family and welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. This week we're continuing the discussion on garden planning. We're kind of really diving in into the actual like planning in the garden, the garden plot planning. Thinking it through, buying seeds, putting them on the shelf and just going out there in the spring and and planting them is not enough. Uh, There's a lot to do if you want to be successful and provide for your family and uh, have some things to preserve and yeah. put up for the winter or tough times but, or when the shelves are empty. Or when the shelves are empty. <laughs> um, before we jump into that main topic, we've got a little bit of chit chat that we're going to do. If you want to jump ahead and skip all the chit chat, uh, then check the timestamps because we have that marked for you so you can just get right to the main topic. So. You betcha. All right. But I like the chit chat. Chit chat. Yeah, well, so do a lot of you guys out there. It's fun to get to hang with you. And thinking of that, we got a lot of cool comments after last week's episode where Carolyn announced my accelerating gray. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My 50th birthday, which is coming up here in a couple weeks, but uh, but, uh, she actually stole me away for a little bit for an early birthday gift. And I wanted to say thank you for all of the happy birthdays and well wishes. And I really liked, uh, at least one, a couple of you may have mentioned, but the idea, we were joking about being on top of the hill, not over it. <laughs> and I liked the Mesa idea. Yeah, I really resonated with that, that it's a it's a Mesa. And that, that's definitely the perspective. It's like smoothing out, nice, long, yeah. flat. Yeah, and the encouragement that the 50s are really good. And, um, you know, the 40s were tough. There was a lot of challenges. Uh, for me in my 40s. And anyway, so thanks for all the encouragement. And I'm just going to cruise that Mesa. <laughs> and um, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Can I can I tell a joke? I, this, I know. I, I've told a dad joke a time or two, which is kind of funny because I'm the mom. I'm not the dad. But <laughs> I don't think this falls in the dad joke category. But this is one my teenage daughter actually told me yesterday. And she said uh, there was this four-year-old little girl who looked at her mom and said, Mom, why, why are you getting gray hairs? And the mom <laughs> said, well, you know, every time you do something naughty or that stresses me out, I get another gray hair. So the little girl said, what'd you do to grandma? <laughs> <laughs> So there we have it. Okay, that's my joke for the day in case you needed a laugh. You just can't pull some things over on the little ones sometimes. (laughs) No, you can't. Uh, We have one of that variety of four-year-old in our house right now. (laughs) You can call you on all of it. No arguing with her. So what have you been up to? 
Wow. Well, you know, you took me away. I did. And I took me away to my uh, secret special place where it was warm and sunny for mm -hmm. a few days for a long weekend. And that was an awesome birthday gift. So I sat still. I don't sit still very well. No. <laughs> uh, even on a so-called vacation or whatever, I, I need to do things generally. Um, and we went and just relaxed. Yeah. And it was warm and read a book. I don't, can't say I made a great choice on my book read, but um, <laughs> we, we read and relaxed and had a really, really nice time. It was really refreshing and a uh, great birthday present, but also a great way just to kind of get recharged for the year. So, so yeah, I got to hang out with you in the sun and we both read kind of, um, well, mine was, yours was post-apocalyptic <laughs> and, and mine was what's called a negative utopia. Most of you know the book, 1984. I've not read that in 30 years and I've had a lot of people telling me, you know, obviously there's a lot of reference to it and for those of you who have read it. And so I decided to do a reread on that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know that that was worth my time. I mean, there's a lot of reference there too. Um, the things that are happening and a lot of stuff that we know that's going on and there are a lot of parallels. Um, but it, it was a little dark and I don't, we don't generally, as you guys know if you're following us for a while, we don't generally focus on the problem. And I mean, we want to identify it, we want to acknowledge it, but we want to spend our time thinking about solutions and about what's positive and, and moving forward uh, in response to those things. So that was a little bit of time dwelling in some, in, in a little bit of darkness there. but. Um, there was some good reference and some interesting exploration of, of concepts, both of um, governments and humanity. I think what I heard from you as you were debriefing me on the whole thing was uh, maybe the, the afterward yeah, the guy at the end was really the, the part that was like, skip the reading the book and go to that part because you get, you get the basic plot without the depth of the gloominess, I guess. Well, it really was because it's really, a lot of people want to say it's prophetic um, of where we're going. And there's definitely those elements, but it's really an exploration of humanity and can you dehumanize humanity? Yeah. That's really the question that he's, he's wrestling with, right. Orwell is wrestling with in that. And so when you look at it from that light, you can understand the exploration of the yeah. book a lot more, not just like, are we going to get to this place where government exists like this? And a lot of those things are happening. And so in one way we are. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's possible to get that far. But, you know, that, again, that's a whole nother discussion. From that side, it, it, was, um, it was very interesting. And definitely reading it again and understanding some of the technology that we have today <laughs> versus sense. some of the technology that's in there. And you do go, whoa, that is a little creepy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 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 so it was interesting, but. Uh, <laughs> All that light, fluffy uh, vacation reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but these are things we're thinking about in the world that we're in and responding yeah. to. And so we go forward from that and, um, and just look for solutions and a way to be light in the world and positive. So what about you though? Because I mean, obviously we were together, so you were. You I were was hanging doing the same thing me. you were doing, and, and I was. But reading. you were reading something that actually is a little more kind of in touch with, I'd say, a little closer to the times and and exploring potential post-apocalyptic right. concepts. Yeah. So I read or am reading. I'm. So it is a long, detailed book. Um, so I'm still in the middle of it, but. Uh, the Patriot? The Is Patriot that what it's called? By, the Patriot by Rowles. By, by Rowles. Yeah, if you guys are familiar with him, 
Um, he's kind of the creator of the American readout concept. You have to do your research on that. Yeah. But, uh, interesting guy. So definitely post-apocalyptic, but it's written as if it's a manual almost for, so it's a fictional uh -huh. story, but it's written as a manual. So there's a lot of discussion about, you know, equipment and and different scenarios and how to handle different well, scenarios thinking about and different thinking things, through things. Systems. So it's a very interesting from that side. I think for me, it brings out this, there's this challenging, I don't know, the, the difference between the two worldviews of a homesteader and a prepper. And there's a Ooh, lot of overlap. A big, like yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm diving Not in deep overlap. right here, right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of overlap. And I think ultimately a lot of times goals can be similar. But there is a difference from somebody who sees the the ideal place to be is to have your stash of stuff mm -hmm. versus somebody who's actually day by day living a more sustainable lifestyle that yeah. can help them get through challenging times. And so it for me, this hits pretty heavy on the prepper side and I don't identify myself as a prepper even though I'm probably more of a prepper than most average people mm -hmm. but um, but yeah so it's very interesting very good discussion starter even internal discussion starter so I'm enjoying that it's a little gory in some places a little heavy on the violence which you know in that situation may be a very it, honest it, look at what could happen it's exploring but, potential realities yeah. of what society might look like with a full government economic breakdown right and so yeah it's it's definitely comes at it from the more armed conflict side yeah. and then the prepping side not so much from the homesteading side and the living prepared it's getting there definitely it's kind of getting there but they're taking like five years to get through some things that i'm like well we should be living a lot of this stuff out right. while having preps definitely yeah um but but it is it's, it's a good exploration of well, concepts. and maybe that might even turn into a good pantry chat sometime, like the difference between homesteading and prepping and where they interlock Absolutely. and where they diverge and where, you know, what the different goals are and the different, you know, motivations are behind them. Because I think it's a, a valuable discussion as to, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and the methodology to take to yeah. achieve those things. So. Yeah, so interesting <laughs> book. If you if you do read it, just know it's heavily focused, um, you know, on arms and firearms and, and um, a lot of that side of things, which has its place in the discussion, right. absolutely. But if you're looking for thinking through the farm and homesteading and preserving and a lot of the other it's sides of life, you're not, you're, not, you're not gonna get much of yeah. it in, in that way. And hence why we focus on living prepared because yeah. it, we wanna be prepared and there are preps to do. There's a lot of prepping to do. But if you're not building skills and practicing skills, if you're just right. putting stuff on the shelf and saying, you know, when it all goes south or whatever, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull out my seeds, I'm gonna pull out my firearms, I'm gonna pull out whatever, beans, mandates, and bullets we like to call it. Um, that's not a good track. That's not a track for doing well. We want to practice skills now and live prepared and encourage you guys and everybody to live prepared. That's where we're improving not only our own lives, but community and just giving resiliency to the whole picture. Yeah, it, it also, you know, the whole, see, here we're going to just it's, start, let's saying, just start doing that pantry yeah. chat. That's right. not what we planned today. So anyways, we'll do, we'll hold the discussion and we'll maybe get that on the schedule because I think it's a really valuable discussion. It's easy to go on, but, yeah. Um, easy but to yeah. with.
So yeah. anyways, cool. we've been reading and hanging out and yeah. now we're back to work. <laughs> now we're back to it and a lot of exciting things and we're planning our gardens just like we're talking about here. And before we jump into that, let's answer a question okay. for the day sure. from Irene Johnson on the home ready remedy, home remedy for congestion video. Can you reheat the solution or I think she means, do you need to make a new one each time? Yeah, so this is a video that right now a lot of you guys are watching. Um, maybe we've got a lot of sickies right now that tends to go around Going this around. time of year yeah, anyways. Regardless of the news. <laughs> and uh, so in this video, we're doing an old-fashioned steam with certain ingredients, including uh, vinegar in there. And so... You know, the, the side of us that doesn't want to be wasteful wants to just reheat the solution and use it again. The problem is that the purpose of the steam is to atomize, atom, I'm not saying that word atomize, right. Atomize, I don't, I mean, atomize, I, I get it, atomize. I don't know if that's the right word. But get little particles floating around in nebulize? the sky. <laughs> it's not know. quite nebulizing. I don't know why I can't say that word. But um, And so you're actually evaporating off your active ingredients. Um, so you can use it again and you will get some benefit from the second round, but it's going to be weaker. So for best results, make a fresh solution every time. If you really are like, oh my gosh, I'm down to my last, you know, two cups of vinegar in my house. Say, yeah. Use it good, again. Good to know Just that you know, can stretch it out. Yeah. Just it's not going to be returns. as effective. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Good. Well, that's good. And we hope all of you that uh, are feeling congestion is that uh, you're getting you're through this, taking better. care of yourself and get to feeling better. We're going to get through it. I know there's a lot of people sick. Yeah. We're seeing it across the board. Um, but we're also, while it takes a while, a lot of brain fog, a lot of stuff coming yes. with this. But but um, we'll get by and we'll keep on trucking into 2022 here. Keep going. Get okay. those gardens going. So last week we were talking about garden planning and we got talking so much about the seeds and choosing the varieties, which was a great discussion. Mm -hmm. A lot of people really, um, you know, appreciating that discussion and the discussion of the different types of seeds um, that we didn't get through all the way through actually planting sure. the garden. So we're going to pick that piece up right now. I did want to make one note seeing some of the comments from last week, and that was that we did talk about the difference between GMO seeds, hybrid seeds heirloom and open pollinated seeds. Mm -hmm. So you can go check that out. And a couple people noted that GMO seeds are not available for sale to the direct consumer, like to small gardeners in the United States, mm -hmm. the th which is true. You can't go buy a packet of GMO seeds on your, you know, on the shelf mm -hmm. or in the catalog. Right. The problem that we're running into on the consumer and the, the home gardener side is the over the overspray it's the Over, overspray the is not right yeah the pollination there the you go pollination from you the live large in an area farms. if you do live in an yeah. area where they're growing gmo crops and mm -hmm. then you're growing a similar crop there are cross pollination this issues. is happening as like definitely with corn and things mm -hmm. that we are broadly growing as gmo crops um, probably soybeans are having the same problems but i haven't heard this specifically and i know that some seed companies baker creek seed is one of them tests every single crop of seed corn that comes in mm -hmm. and they have had to drop variety after variety as they have found that they are contaminated with gmo genetics 
yeah. some modifications yep. and there. And we obviously so, want to avoid that. Yeah, we want to avoid that. So it is still a discussion for the home gardener, even though you can't go buy outright specific genetically modified. Well, that ties back into knowing your seed producer. Obviously, you know, we all want to learn to save seeds. That needs to be a skill. We're working on it. But while you're buying seeds, you, you want to know the source, like yeah. many things. Absolutely. Okay, so to jump right back in, we are going to start with after you've gotten your seeds picked out, you've you know kind of figured out your varieties, now we want to start paying attention to the calendar. We want to do some planning on the garden calendar. Right, and we talked about the planning on the front side when, and this is where most of us tend to focus on, is you know when to plant by, you know, based on your frost and, and when you can plant what varieties, right? right? And that's one side of the equation, but the uh, side of the equation that we didn't cover and that gets left out a lot and can be a major problem is your harvest schedule. And so you really want to plan for a harvest because you have a good year or any year, but you know, any year that's a decent year and you get too much coming in at once, it runs you over. Have you experienced that? I know we've experienced it where way too much is, is coming in at the same time. We, we have so much to harvest and it needs to be preserved. Yeah. And we realized a few years back that it doesn't have to be that way. We just got so focused on one mindset that we weren't necessarily thinking all the way through. So you want to combine that early planning with harvest planning. You can probably speak to that because you're the one often in the kitchen dealing with everything coming in and how ran over it you can get the feeling. Absolutely. When too much is coming in at once. Too much of a good thing, actually. Right, which is why it's really important to note on those seed packets the, the days it takes to maturity. Now, we all know that's an approximate and that's happening over at the, the seed farmer's plot, right? Right. It's, it's their estimates. It's this not going to be the same amount of days at your place, and it could be drastically different. So it's important to start keeping your own notes so sure. that you can adjust this. But just because you can put seeds in the ground on a certain date or transplant at a certain date doesn't necessarily mean you want to in order to be able to space out that harvest, right? Yeah. So you can delay something. You can put your cucumbers in you know, three weeks later than is suggested if you have enough time on the far end of your season so that you're not overlapping, you know, harvesting cucumbers at the same time you've got your green beans going bonkers. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to kind of start spacing those things out unless you just have all day, all week, open to preserving that time of year in the harvest time, you know, you really want to space it out and give yourself a little bit of a breather. This is, this discussion really is based on preserving crops on your main garden, right? Because if you're just growing a garden to be able to have some fresh vegetables on the table, you do want to consider this. You want to consider spacing you still, you, out you your harvest it, yeah. so you can eat for as long as you can. But it really comes into play when we're talking about the main crops that are really for preserving. So, you know, when you're getting that big glut of tomatoes and you're going to turn that into salsa and spaghetti sauce, you don't really want that to be at the exact same time that you're getting the, the green corn. beans and the or, corn or, and the everything else all at the same right. time. It's so a lot of processing yeah. work. And uh, another tidbit to that is your storage crops. And one of the things we realized as we start growing more root crops, which do well for us up right. here, is that we're growing the root crops well, but we don't have an ideal storage system. I mean, we've got the basement, we, we do pretty good, but it's not ideal. And so we're planting those crops based by the spring calendar, 
but then they're coming mature to the place where they really need to get pulled. You can leave them in the soil for a while, but there's things that you don't want to because they get, they do, they, you know, they get past prime. But we're really not ready to get them in our preservation system yet because they're just not going to preserve that long. So they're coming in a month or two early. And just that alone says, hey, move those back because we don't need the full growing season. And that, that's a big one when it comes to your storage crops is yeah. making sure that, you know, they're going to come ripe at the right time, ready for harvest. And you don't have them in storage too long, especially if you don't have ideal conditions. Yeah, so you really need to pay attention to the end of your season also, yep. so your first expected frost date and freeze date, um, so that you know what kind of flexibility you have to play with those. How Can you put this off two weeks, three yep. weeks past your first date that you can put those things in the ground? Um, it's really important to start looking at that, especially as you mature as a gardener and start doing more and more and start you know basing a lot more of your diet off of your homegrown food you really need to plan out that production cycle yep. on the far end too. and again i don't have one down here today but clyde's garden planner mm -hmm. has that information it has the average again this is on the food plot but average days to maturity and right. so you can map that out you can use that tool to help map it out things are going to be different on your land hence taking your own records and then adjusting over yep. time yeah. Cool. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. That, that's just that, that's that's so so helpful, and it's been so helpful to us as we've learned that to think more about that side of the equation. Not well, just and the front I find end. it fascinating because it's really missing in the dialogue in the garden dialogue. Like you don't hear that very often. You don't hear about staggering out your planting based on delaying a harvest, or you know staggering that harvest well it's it's so. a it's a whole missing part of the conversation we get to focus a lot on growing on maintaining mm -hmm. soil on everything to get that food going but the transition of that food into the kitchen and all that goes along with consuming it preserving it and storing it um, that often is you know just kind of chunked out here and there in bits and pieces of the conversation and not looked at as a whole. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been helpful for us to, to think that way. Okay, so once you've worked on your calendar, now you're going to actually start plotting out your garden and what goes kind of where you're going to put things, where you're mm -hmm. going to put them in. Yeah. Yeah. So some key things to think about, and this is where we really use some permaculture principles and some, some zoning to think about where we put things. And, and so in a lot of traditional gardens, people just have a garden plot, you know, in the sunny spot or wherever it will go and everything goes in there. But um, we've learned that we can break things up and strategically put things in locations that work better, that create better success. Mm -hmm. And so we, there's two main topics is having a kitchen garden Yes. Right. And what we call a main crop garden. If you've heard us talk about that, we're doing something in the main crop or the kitchen garden. The kitchen garden is, as it indicates, as close to the kitchen as possible. And this uh, is where we grow our fresh eating foods where we're going to go out and grab a salad for dinner. We want those mm -hmm. cherry tomatoes that we're going to pop on the salad. You know, we want those uh, maybe some quick green onions to right. put over something or some you know little bits of vegetables for dinner itself, right there, fresh, straight out of the garden. Fresh eating and the things that you're gonna be going to regularly. You right. might be going a couple times a day, you might be going every day, and so you want that closer. And so, so we wanna challenge you to think creatively and maybe break up your garden a little bit and can you get some of those things? And those things, a lot of them don't take a huge amount of space, so can you find a place to get them closer to the kitchen? Um, if you can't get it close to the kitchen, getting it close to wherever you exit the house regularly, coming and going, because the other benefit to those is 
proximity just, the, the nature of proximity helps you take better care of what you have because you're there and those crops generally need a little more attention. They may need to be seeded more regularly. They may need to be more weeded. They certainly need to be more harvest more regularly. Right. And so so you want to find those crops to get close to your kitchen as you can. Those are also, that's a great place to be putting your culinary herbs in also that way you know. When you're making dinner and you're like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have that pretty little sprig of something on the top like they do on the cooking show? <laughs> you can run outside. It's right there. But if you have to go all the way out the back, you know, to the big garden, the main crop garden, it's less likely to happen yeah. than just getting some good herbs, especially the fresh, right at the end, fresh and raw, right yeah. at the end to top. That just adds so much flavor, so much nutrition to a meal. But it's hard to get it done for just a handful of something if you have to run all the way out to the big garden. Yeah. So. One of the other things we're doing with the kitchen garden, and we've got these terraces, if you've seen some of the videos that we're currently developing where it extends out, is to get some of the early season perennials. And asparagus is really what comes to mind. And right now it's up in the main crop, but that's so early rising that we actually want to get that down closer. Yes. Because a good asparagus patch, you're going out to it every day. Yeah. And it's early. And a lot of times that's getting ready and we're not even in the main crop garden much yet. So, so there are some places for some selective perennials as well. Uh, edible perennials, obviously Especially the herbs and the medicinals ones. are there close right. in the kitchen garden, cottage garden. But there are some, some places for some edibles. Your good King Henry, sorrel, your, sorrel, your leafy rhubarb. greens, they come up yeah. early and you're going to use them a lot. Yeah. So yeah, save, save a perennial patch as well. Absolutely. And be creative, you guys that are in small places. You can tuck yeah. a lot of this into the landscaping. Um, you know, so you don't just have to have a big square. Get creative and, and, and look at your location and uh, think about how you can bring some of that in. Some of the other things to consider when you're thinking about where to put things where, what to put things where, is uh, you have your rotations, right? Yep, you want to yeah. be able to rotate your crops to different locations, new beds in certain mm -hmm. ways. Companion planting, that's a whole topic all of its own, so we'll leave that in a broad sense right now. But you do can I just hit, yeah, hit the, sure. the, the you know, points in companion planting. Diversity is always best, and so where you can grow two, three, or more crops together, you're just creating an ecology that generally strengthens the plant. Now, you have to learn about most plants are they're 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 fine they don't have any reactions some really work well together so they help each other out some don't and you don't want them together so you've got to learn a little bit about that but it really can help the health of your plant you can create some um some resiliency to bugs and pests and even yes. diseases by doing that so that's another area you definitely want to dive into yeah yeah good Okay. Um, get, getting on to next is your main crop, where those are your crops that you're going to, you know, you still have to take care of the garden, but you're going to be harvesting maybe a few times a year or some things even once a year, like say winter squash. You know, you're really out there just checking on it and then you've got a harvest time. And so that can go out a little further, but you still want it in a good location, a uh, good sunny location as much as possible and somewhere in your path of travel that it just doesn't... Life gets busy, yeah. we're trying to do a lot, and sometimes people put the garden way off to the side somewhere, and it's easily neglected. You don't mean to, you don't intend to, but it's easily neglected. So again, try to keep it in path of travel in your zone one, if you're familiar with permaculture zoning. We, we have had that in a couple places we've lived. We had, you know, we inherited a garden space. And mm -hmm. so as we moved in, we we're kind of like, okay, there's the garden, we're gonna plant in it. And it was so far out of view, out of path, out of everything, that it was just hard to even use anything out of it because you just didn't see it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't easy for us to maintain. So it's good to yeah. still keep yeah. it somewhere where you're 
able to see it if you can and able to be around yeah. close to it. So. so a couple other things that you want to think about with where to plant stuff. One is what needs more sun, what needs more shade. Mm -hmm. And you can use these things to different advantages. Some things need to have a lot of sun and not be shaded out. So if you, you know, if you're planting things, then make sure you're not shading something, say with corn or yeah. bean trellises that needs a lot of sun. Or vice versa, you can use those things to create shade for some things that need shade. And um, that again is a whole other discussion. Um, but just as tips, those are a couple things to think out in where you're putting stuff in your garden space. It starts to get a bit like a chess game, really. Like it, it becomes very strategic, even visually on paper, mm -hmm. trying to, you know, take all these things into consideration. So you really need some time to sit with it. This is why it's so beneficial to be able to sit down this time of year before yep. you're actually out in the garden and plot this out and work with it for a little bit and think about it. And um, it gives you time to shift things around yep. <laughs> while you and, need to. And sketch it out on a piece of paper, know where your general sun exposure is, mm -hmm. you know, and sketch your rows out or whatever you're doing and have a light plan. It doesn't have to be formal. I mean, if computers yeah. are your thing, there's programs out there, but just a simple sketch pad really helps you. Good. Okay, so you kind of have your calendar worked out. You have your space worked out. Now we need to actually get down into the nitty gritty. Into the soil. <laughs> you need to have a plan. It's not dirt. It's not dirt. dirt it, hopefully dirt, it's dirt not dirt. Dirt is dead. Right, right? exactly. Dirt is dead. Dirt soil is, dead. is alive. <laughs> and you wanna have a plan for amending your soil and taking good care of your soil, that is everything for your plants, for your production, for your own health ultimately, and for a lot of the reasons we're doing this. So you've gotta have a plan for how are you gardening, how are you gonna take care of that soil? Yeah. Even if you feel like you're starting with good quality soil, this is one of those things that if you're not intentionally thinking about what you're doing, it's going to degrade over time. You have to kind of have a plan to maintain it and make it better. Well, right? soil, soil Even is... Even if it's a simple plant. Yeah, soil is like a bank account. And it has nutrients in it. It's got life in it. And as we grow, mm -hmm. those plants are taking up those nutrients and we're taking them away. Yeah. So we have to give back. We have to put back if you're going to maintain soil health and maintain or increase uh, nutritional value of your food. Right. So you, you have to have a plan to take care of that. Most of you guys know that. Um, you know, composting is the main way to mm -hmm. do that, is, is adding compost and just taking good care of your soil. Um, if you followed us for a while, you know that we generally don't till. I would not say we're like no-till, never. There is a place for disturbance and loosening up the soil. Um, that's usually getting and prepping an area that's not ongoing yeah. because it disturbs the soil ecology, it promotes weeds, a lot of things like that. That's a whole nother discussion again. But um, we want to try to practice low to no tilling and building up our soil. Now, I think sometimes when, they, when people hear the term no tilling, they think that you're like just never touching the soil as far as like at all getting any anything in there. And that's not true because we do need to aerate. We do need to help do a few things. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. at least for a production. There are people that are serious no-till and you just layer, you don't disturb anything you have to except for planting. And, you know, if there's two of you growing, there, you can definitely do that. I think that's viable. But for a productive garden, it's it's often, that, that doesn't work. Soil compacts no matter what over time. Snow mm -hmm. sitting on it, water moving through it. Uh, so it gets some compaction and that just slows down the growth process. So 
Um, and often the top of the beds need to be prepared for seeds, to take seeds and to be efficient and productive. So yes, there is some disturbance regularly. We use a broad fork, mm -hmm. which is great. It goes down, digs into the soil, and you just work it with your hands, and it loosens the soil deep down without bringing, without turning the soil over and disrupting So you're it. not mixing up the layers, you're not mixing up the... Yeah, by and large, it's not perfect. ...microbial biology going on in there. Right. You're just kind of giving them some air. <laughs> you're giving them some air and you know if you're if you have heavy clay soil you're helping loosen it to move water through because right. you need that balance of air and water in the soil. So yeah. that's real important to prepping your soil. Another thing you can do to do that is to not pull the roots of your plants in uh, the fall. And when you're harvesting. You yes. The roots in I don't pull anything anymore. I don't pull corn. I don't pull sunflowers. Uh, I don't pull beans. I leave all the roots in and as you develop a healthy soil. You pull potatoes. All right, potatoes, <laughs> carrots, beets to you. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. But leaving them in place allows... Well, and I learned this from Gabe Brown. If okay. you haven't read the book, Dirt to Soil, that is a phenomenal book. And okay. he's, he's approaching it a little more from a larger agricultural mm -hmm. uh, perspective, but it's the same principles. And by leaving the roots in, those roots go down and they loosen the soil because they then decay, they get broken up, mm -hmm. and then that leaves pathways for water and oxygen to move through. Plus, it's getting organic matter, that carbon and humus, down deeper in the soil. Those roots go deeper than any broad fork, anything's gonna go. And go. so that's giving you the chance to build soil deep down in a way that you just can't any other way. So, so it's really interesting because we have <laughs> such this like, clean it all up, mm -hmm. get it all out, remove everything from the garden, pull out all those roots so they're not in the way, but we're really detracting from our own soil. Well, again, we that, we're right? taking away when we got to remember, we're, we're asking a lot to grow high production vegetables mm -hmm. in any given soil. And so we've got to give back as much as we can. That's an easy way to give back. Cut it down instead of pull it out. I started thinking about it in a calorie loop, actually. And I know this is not actually a technical way to think about it as in energy units. But when you ask, you're growing these vegetables out of something, right? They're actually forming out of something. You're mm -hmm. pulling those nutrients out of the ground to form them. If you then remove that and nothing's going back in, your calorie or your, your soil has that much less right. nutrient. You right. know, I'm thinking calories just because that works as a little packet of energy in my mind. Yeah. But so you need to make sure that you're always replacing what you're taking out or replacing it and giving a little bit additional so that you've got even more. You're in a incline, you're in a bettering state instead of a declining state. Well, and again, state. just like a bank account, we, yeah. we always want to be growing it a little bit yeah. and and increasing. So so coming back to taking soil, composting is a, is a known method. And right. whether you're composting yourself or buying quality compost, again, I'm going to say it takes time to develop um, you know, enough compost, the ability to create enough compost on site, which should be a goal, kind of like seed saving. But if you can't do that, buy the best compost you can. It pays for itself. People complain about, I got to spend this much on compost. Um, if you're serious about growing healthy uh, plants and gardens, then you need to amend your soil with the best that you can get a hold of, the best you can afford. And often that's in compost till you can get there to a full system on your property. But then we add in, you know, some of these other practices and leaving the leaving the soil in the plant or the roots in the ground. That's a great strategy. Low disturbance. And another one, and this can be controversial for some organic gardeners, um, and that is adding mineralization. And I've practiced it both ways, and I'm coming back to doing both to broad spectrum mineralization that adds back in the minerals in a form that are uptake, you know, are able to be 
uptaken, taken in by the plants easily if you have a healthy soil biology. Can you tell we've been on vacation? We're I, both I, like, what, what am well, I trying to say? It's not coming out correctly. There, Thank you guys for hanging with us There's a reason today. we don't have the many amount of followers that say Joe Rogan has, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so thanks for hanging with us and sitting at the table. Um, but so, yeah, so, so so mineralization is is really important, and, there, and there's a um, couple of ways to do that ease, fairly easily. And mm -hmm. I just want to clarify what you just said because you said we've tried it both ways. You've done it both ways, and um, we've grown gardens with just compost, and we've grown gardens with compost and adding mineralizations, mm -hmm. and we're really seeing the effects of that. Saying we want to go back to doing both of them, I think that is where we've really seen the strongest, most robust gardens. Mm -hmm. But we also really want to identify the fact that our modern food is missing minerals. We need to make sure we have every single available mineral in our plants that's possible. Like we want to pack that plant filled with mineral density, mm -hmm. right? We want it to have everything that it possibly can have. And the reality is, is sometimes our garden soils don't have I know there's a little bit of a debate a, a, as to the actual physical state of the soil and whether the minerals are there or not. But sometimes our garden soils do not have them in a form mm -hmm. that is able to be uptaken or by the vegetables. Sometimes they don't have them. And this is a big discussion, organic yeah. gardening, and, and it's a scientific discussion along with somewhat of an ideological discussion. But if you're wanting to do the best you can to just mm -hmm. kind of get to it, um, you know, I, I've come to the belief that while we need to compost, we need to build soil, soil biology, that, you know, if you want a little extra insurance, if you want to make sure you're getting broad spectrum minerals, then adding something like a COF, a complete organic fertilizer, look up Steve Solomon. I think we've actually got the recipe on our site somewhere. somewhere. We'll, we'll try to find that and link to it. Um, then we've seen good results from that without getting into, you know, testing our food and mineralization, but we've seen good results in the garden, good flavor, which are all indications of, of good plant health and nutritional density. And so it is worth taking that step. Mm -hmm. A COF you have to make yourself. However, there is a resource that's coming to the market and um, that we'll be talking about more in the future that I think is going to make this easier for people. And I, I don't know when yet, and so I can't speak to that, but... Um, I think that's exciting. Uh, hopefully it will work like the COF, but it's going to be easier for you guys to put together because the C because COF a is some a... work to source yeah. all the materials and it's doable, but especially if you're in, um, if you're not in an agriculture area, it can be tough to get everything. And so I think there is a producer out there that's going to give us a good solution. Okay. So while you're planning <laughs> your soil this year, this fall, make sure, or this spring, this spring where are yeah. we? Winter. Yeah. <laughs> make sure that you're thinking about your compost. You're thinking about how you're going to aerate your soil and you're thinking about the possibility of getting some sort of a mineralization or complete organic fertilizer onto your garden, yep. making plans for those things. Good. Yeah. One more. Yep. I know we're starting to get a little yeah. long on time, but we got to cover watering. You need to have a plan for watering. Yes. Whatever that is. I am a proponent mostly of overhead watering, which goes contradictory to uh, a lot of permaculture. Um, but I, I don't think it does because we're actually trying to mimic rain, which is the most natural form of watering. Uh, flooding, you know, seasonal flooding would be another one. This is where I'd go next. So we like a light overhead watering with micro sprinklers. That works fantastic. But whatever you do, make sure that you have a plan for it. We've done well with just rotating heads. You know, we've done well with flood irrigation, which can be another great way to water and does mimic natural systems yeah. and gets periodic deep watering. And that's one of the things, whatever method you use, water deeper, less frequently. 
that, that, that would be the key thing, whatever method you use, is, is get a lot of water in um, less frequently so that it soaks in, and, but that encourages your roots also to go deep, which strengthens the plant. It also helps the plant go and find nutrients, right. and so it makes a better, stronger plant. If you water too shallow, then those roots stay near to the surface. If you water frequently and shallow like a lawn, then those plants are not very resilient and they get attacked by heat, dry spells, bugs, whatever. They're, you know, they're gonna wilt a lot more easily. So put the planning into place for how you're going to water your garden. It is amazing, especially if you live in a place where you actually get a lot of rainfall um, regularly through the summer. You know, it's easy not to really have an uh, irrigation plan. And, and, for then, your and then sometimes you don't have a lot of and rain. And then it, yeah, it yeah. happens that you have a year where all of a sudden it's not working. So just make sure you have your plans in place, whether you realize that you're going to have to water all the time, like you do in some places, mm-hmm. or whether you think, ah, eh, this may just be my backup scenario. Make sure you have that plan in place so that, you know, you've got the hoses on hand, you have whatever it is on hand that you're going to employ for Absolutely. that job. Yeah. Yep. So, hey, you guys. Make sure you start your planning if you haven't already, because you're going to want to garden this year. This is going to be a good year to garden. It is. Well, I think a lot of you are seeing the grocery store shelves. And between that, the scarcity, which is not going away, you guys, this this isn't momentary. I mean, two, three years out, who knows, but this isn't going away quickly. And then obviously with that is the inflationary pressures. I was reading this morning, I think we're at about 8% on grocery store items and food items. Some of the items, I was doing some research on it yesterday, some of the items are as high as 50% inflation at the grocery store. This also is not transitory, as the word they use. This This isn't going away for a while. And so, yes, it's a great year for a garden. It's a great year to plan your food stores and building some resiliency into your pantry Uh um, across the board. Next week, we are going to be going live and answering your gardening questions. We're doing a live question and answer specifically on gardens. So make sure that you put the comments in here, but also there's gonna be a link at the end for you to go sign up for that. More importantly, put your question over in next week's live Q&A. It's already up, it's already posted for you guys so you can start putting your link, your questions in the chat yep. box over there. And set aside a little extra time. This one will probably be a little longer so that we can get through as many questions as we can and just have a great discussion with you guys and we'll answer some of your questions live as well. Yeah. So uh, we hope to see you there. Sounds good, we'll see All you right. guys soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.